following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Well, how many of you know that He is risen for sure? For sure. I mean, do you know for sure? I hope you know it for sure. And we're going to talk today about not only the historic reality uh, that Jesus is alive, but the spiritual ramifications, because if he's alive, uh, it changes things for everybody. And so I want us to look today at the historic reality, but the spiritual reality, because depending on your background, depending on how you came up, depending on how uh, the resurrection was explained to you, um, I noticed when I talked to some people about the resurrection, uh, they feel like it's an important day of the year to honor God. And yes, it is. And so as a result, oftentimes people feel, well, if there's one or two days a year that I go to God's house to honor him, it should be on the resurrection. And hey, that's, that's good. That's good. But if you fully understand the spiritual reality of the resurrection and, check this out, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, and scripture says this, I'm going to let you in on the secret on the front end of this message. The scripture says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead wants to be alive in you. Whoa. This is a game changer. No one told me that when I was a kid. They just said, follow the rules, and this is a reality that happened. I'm like, okay, cool. I get the facts, but no one told me about this dynamic. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead Picture this for a second. Jesus dies on the cross. He's in the tomb. Before they took him down off the cross to make sure he's dead, he put a spear through his side. After blood came out water, meaning there is no more blood to give. Jesus gave it all. He said, it is finished. And with one last breath, if you remember, he said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. Poof. He gave up his spirit for you and I. Died. They put the sword on the side. After blood, there's water. There's no more blood to give. They bring his lifeless body down. They put him in a tomb, and he's in there for three days. There's a point where even the apostles are thinking, oh, no, now what? We followed him for three years. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He gave the blind sight and he, the, the mute could speak and the deaf could hear and cast out demons and calm the seas. He did all these things, but he's, but he's dead now. And there's a point in the sequence, and we're going to look at the history of it, where the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the word for the Holy Spirit is the holy pneuma, the holy breath wind of God, who is not just a breath or a wind, not just a power or a force, but a factual person, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, just like in the beginning of the Bible, when we see that God breathed life into the nostrils of man and became a living being. You guys remember that story? Beginning of the book. God breathes, life begins. Jesus is in a tomb, three days, dead, cold, lifeless, pulseless, and the Spirit of God breathes life into him, and he takes this death and says, death, get off me, boom, and he shakes off death, and he comes out of the tomb. 
This is a historic reality. I want to unpack that, but I want you the whole time, please, I want to encourage you. I'm, I'm praying that you really start looking at the spiritual reality for your life because if the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, as I just explained, if he's alive in you, the Bible says he will give life to your mortal bodies. He will give life. And this is the kind of life no one told me about. And when I discovered it in scripture and I discovered that it is a spiritual reality and it is supposed to be the very life that Christians live, life in the spirit of God because of what Jesus did. And life in the spirit, it bears fruit. It bears the fruit of the spirit. And there are dimensions. When Jesus said, I came that you might have life, I want you to have it to the fullest. In other words, Jesus' intent was never for you and I to exist. Never to exist. His intention was never for us to just hang on till he comes back. That's not his heart at all. He said, I want you to have life abundantly to the fullest. And that means eternity later on, but it also means life in the spirit here and now. And because Jesus threw off death and because the spirit of God raised him from the dead, that if you are truly in Christ, if we die in Christ, we will rise in Christ. But those who don't die in Christ won't rise in Christ. But not only later, it's the here and now. And that's the part I was never told about. And ironically, I've talked to other believers that have different histories and different backgrounds of maybe how you came up or didn't come up in the faith and what you heard and what you knew about this. I talked to so many people that for some reason, I don't know why, but in the narrative of Jesus and the life that he offers, this dimension of the spirit of God that raised him to life, living in us, was not even presented. I don't know why, but it wasn't even offered. It wasn't even presented to people. And I don't know how we live this life without the Spirit of God. Because if we don't have the Spirit of God moving in our life, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, then you and I are no different than those religious people a long time ago just trying to follow rules and trying to be a good person And it doesn't take long where you go, this ain't working too good. Anybody have that experience? You know, you try, come on, more honesty in God's house. You try and you go, this ain't working that good. And and, and the conclusion is we can't pull it off on our own. That's the point. And that's why God, Jesus paid a price we couldn't pay and yet gives us his spirit that we can live a life that we could not live in our own power. The Bible says it is not by strength or by might. It is by the power of my spirit. And so I want to encourage you today, as we talk about the historic reality of Jesus rising from the dead, I want you to consider yourself in your own life. The spiritual reality is, is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in me. That's the question for you this morning. And if so, is that spirit of God thriving in me? Or am I just kind of existing a little bit? Because this is where life gets exciting. Um, Jesus calls us, this is a terminology that Jesus names you and I. Uh, He says in Luke chapter 20, he calls us children of the resurrection. That's pretty interesting. That's a name that Jesus used referring to us. And I don't know if we look at ourselves that way. Um, I don't know if you do. I, I, I don't oftentimes think of us as children of the resurrection, but Jesus wants you to know he looks at you if you're in Christ You and I are children of the resurrection. So I want to speak to you on a couple of levels. The historic level and as a child of the resurrection. 
Um, if you guys have your Bibles, you could open up to Luke 24. I want to set this up a little bit. There's uh, over 300 verses in the Bible about the resurrection in the New Testament. In John 10, 17, Jesus said this, which is a profound claim. Buddha didn't say this. Uh, Muhammad didn't say this. Krishna didn't say this. None of those. Other, Gandhi didn't say this. Nobody said anything like this that I've ever heard of before on planet Earth. Said, I laid down my life only to take it up again. I'm reading out of John 10, and we're going to get to Luke in a second. I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up. There is no one on planet Earth that ever made that statement before, and there's no one else that lived on planet Earth that could ever pull that off. Jesus said, I came with a mission. The mission was the cross. No one's taken my life. I'm laying it down. And guess what? I've got the power to pick it back up again. That's profound to me. Um, in Luke 18, 31, uh, Jesus took the 12 aside and he told them, uh, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. So as we follow through this past week with Palm Sunday, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, he was finally had the last supper with his apostles. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. They arrested him. He was crucified on Friday, Good Friday. And on Resurrection Sunday, he rose. I love that this year, our calendar is tied to the Jewish calendar. Sometimes it drifts apart. They go on a lunar calendar and, and we don't. But this year, we're tied with the Jewish calendar. So just as Jesus was crucified on a Passover weekend, there are many Jewish people looking to God, and maybe some of you have a Jewish background, looking to God for his deliverance because Passover was symbolic of God delivering from bondage from Egypt. And since God delivered them through bondage, they sacrificed the Passover lamb, and the rule for everyone in, in Egypt was this, all the Jewish people living down there, that is, if you put the sign, the blood of the lamb, if you put it on your doorpost, you're going to be passed over. No consequence is going to come to your house. You're going to be set free and go to a whole promised land if you apply the blood of the lamb. Well, Jesus came as the lamb of God on Passover weekend and actually was that sacrifice, and he extends the same offer to us. If you apply that blood of the lamb to your house, to your own heart, that you too will be passed over of all consequence and you too have a promised land. And the apostles are in on this and they are blown away with Jesus Christ. They're blown away with his ministry. They're blown away with his teaching. But this part about laying his life down and picking it up again, they didn't really know what to do with that. In fact, they were really confused about the crucifixion. They're thinking, how could it end this way? Everything is going so good. Things are getting better. More and more people are, are waking up to faith and they're recognizing the kingdom of God and yet it turned really quickly at the end. Jesus said it would, but they didn't quite understand it. In Luke 24, starting in verse one, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes 
that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and all the others. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. If you were a follower of Jesus for three years and your master, teacher, and Lord and Savior were crucified and were put in a tomb and and the ladies came back and said, we were there and he's not there, he's alive. And he runs there and he gets in and he sees the strips of linen laying there. This wasn't a stolen body. Nobody steals the body and leaves the linens behind. Um, Jesus rose from the dead and laid these linens down and apparently walked out. But Peter at this point is a little baffled. It says that he's wondering what happened. It's a legitimate question, what happened? I've had the privilege of being in this location. I think we have a picture for it up here for the, for the projector of the garden tomb in Israel. And for every intent and purpose, they believe it is the location. Scripture says in John's gospel that the tomb that they buried in him was located near the place where he was crucified. Golgotha, the place of the skull. Calvary, as it's referred to. Jesus was crucified there, and the, and the tomb was right next to it. Well, many, many years later, there is a discovery uh, looking around Israel to determine where these holy places were. Um, all of a sudden, on the side, as the sun was sitting down, uh, one uh, archaeologist was looking around and said, there it is right there, the place of the skull, the mountainside. When the sun hits it, it was a a, a, a rock quarry where they used to quarry from the side of the mountain. And sure enough, the sun hit it and it's looking right at you. It looks exactly like a skull. And this was right outside the city, as scripture says. And it's where they would do the crucifixions on the hill so that everyone going by can look up and you can't miss it. And it would say, don't mess with the Roman Empire. And so it was very strategically placed. Scripture says that Jesus' body was taken off the cross. And since it was almost sunset, was put in a nearby tomb. Well, they excavated this area and they found an ancient tomb in this area. But what's even more important, in front of the tomb, they found an inscription from the year about 300, so this is 1,700 years ago, where an early church met at this location. And the early church from the year 300 believed this was the place where Jesus rose from the dead, much closer than we ever were to the source And so this tomb is excavated. It's the garden tomb. You can visit it in Israel. And we had the opportunity to go there. And on our trip to Israel, there were many times where we'd show up to a location like the upper room or some of these places. And ironically, there were no tour buses. Some of these locations, there's all kinds of tour buses and there's people. But we had this amazing uh, divine appointment, if you will, that we'd show up at at the uh, Jordan River everyone's gone. We've got the whole Jordan River to ourselves and doing baptisms in the Jordan. 
Same with the upper room. When we were done, tour buses pulled up, but we had it to ourselves. The most explosive and memorable time of the whole trip was right here in this garden tomb. We were able to go to this garden tomb, go inside, and now they don't have the big stone to roll in front, thank God, because we wouldn't have been able to get out. But they do have a door. And we were able to go inside this tomb and close the door and just be still and silent and try to think of what it would have been like for Jesus to be in this place for three days, cold, pulseless, and spirit of God to breathe life back in him. And he gets up and he throws off death and he walks right out. What would that be like? We had a moment to actually worship in there. We brought some music and we got to just worship God in this closed garden tomb. Never forget it. It's amazing. And what the angel said was true. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus is alive. Now, the story moves on and it says that Jesus appeared to two of the disciples as they were traveling down the road. And then if we follow the sequence of scripture, we see that Jesus appears to all of them, according to John's gospel, he appears to all of them except Thomas. Thomas wasn't present. And then our passage moves along in Luke, if you would continue to verse 36. It says, while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand scripture. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you're witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what the Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He's telling them, I'm alive. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Don't go anywhere until you receive power. So Jesus appears to the apostles and he eats with them and he lets them inspect his wounds. He's like, come on, check this out. Want to see for yourself? And the apostles are blown away and they believe. But from John's gospel, chapter 20, we realize that Thomas is not in the mix. Thomas wasn't there. John's gospel breaks it down in greater detail on this resurrection passage. And it says that Thomas, Thomas, when he came back, they said, hey, you're not going to believe it. We saw him. We saw his nail marks. It's him. We saw his side. He's alive. Thomas says, sorry. Mm -mm. I am not going to believe anything until I see it with my own eyes and feel it myself. If he doesn't prove it, I'm not going to believe it. End of story. And there's so many people, I think, that go through life with that same attitude. If God, if you prove it, then maybe I'll believe. But if you don't prove it, then I won't. 
It doesn't take long looking at scripture to realize that the heart of Jesus is believe and then I will prove it. And yet people are saying, prove it and then I will believe. If you believe, that is faith and that is rewardable. We come by faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. The whole journey is by faith. And by faith, God shows the proof later on. That's been the story in my life. I didn't say, prove it and I'll follow you. I said, I believe you are because you say you are. And then God's been proving it ever since. Does anybody have that experience? God sends the proof after the faith. But Thomas is over here saying, I'm not going to believe it at all unless I see and I touch. And Jesus shows up on the scene and says, hey, Tom, come here. He's like, let me see that hand of yours. Tom's like, ah, it's cool. We don't, we don't, we don't got to go there, really, you know. Awkward. Jesus is like, no, come here, Thomas. I really want you to get this. Give me your hand. And I'm sure if you can visualize it, he's putting it out reluctantly and Jesus is grabbing it from him. I want you to feel, put your finger in there. You feeling that really good? Thomas is like, we're good now. We're good. He's like, no, we're not good. I want you to feel my side right here. You feel that up in there, Thomas? And Thomas at this point is, in fact, scripture says that he's hitting his knees and saying, my Lord and my God. That is one of the greatest statements in the Bible about a description of Jesus, by the way, the resurrected one, my Lord and my God. He's not just the Savior and the Messiah and the teacher and the miracle worker. He is actually God the Son. The DNA of the Father was in the Son. There's God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Thomas says, my Lord and my God, acknowledging Jesus for for who he is. But Jesus responds, Thomas, that's good that you're, you're saying that, but I had to prove it to you. And I want to say, Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. You believe because you've seen. But blessed are those who believe and have not seen. I believe God wants to ignite our faith to a whole new level. And I don't know what level of faith you're at this morning because I know sometimes even in different seasons of life, when things are going good, our faith can be high. And when things aren't going so good, our faith can be low. But I just want to know, want you to know that God, I believe the Spirit of God wants to activate us on a whole new level. I believe the Spirit of God wants to activate you in this realm of faith that you approach life differently. I really believe that. I believe that's the resurrection message for all of us. The Spirit of God in the life of a believer where God rewards faith. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Blessed are those who don't demand proof and believe me and take me at my word. I believe God wants to activate us today in a different level. And I don't know where you're at personally in faith, but I would encourage you, ask the question, am I one of the children of the resurrection, as Jesus says? Am I a child of the resurrection? Is the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead living in me? And if so, what does that look like? If the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is living in me, how much room do I give him? How much reign do I give him? Does he have his way with me? Or do I go about my business with a little bit of respect for God? I, I appreciate you, God. You're God, I'm not. And is that, that where it ends? Or does it end, God, I'm not even my own. I was bought with a price. You're living in me. Have your way in me. God, I want that abundant life you're talking about. I want, you came that I might have life and life to the fullest. Let it be expressed, God. You're my maker, I'm not. You know me better than I know myself. You said, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're not to harm you. They're to prosper you and give you a hope and a future. Okay, God, I'm all yours. Have at it. 
That's where life begins. And outside of that, we only have a historic understanding of the resurrection. We don't have a spiritual understanding of the resurrection. But when your disposition is, I'm yours anyway, have your way with me, God, that's where life gets exciting. That's where you get to hold on like the roller coaster ride and there's gonna be some, some things that are gonna happen by faith in your life where you take steps into unknown areas where you say, I believe, and God starts proving it. And that's where it starts getting really, really exciting. I wanna encourage you all to, to think of it that way. Um, there are many other appearances in scripture. Uh, in fact, there are seven different appearances of Jesus in scripture about the resurrection, historic realities. First Corinthians 15 says, that he appeared to Peter and then the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, meaning they died at the time of the writing. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, also one as abnormally born. This is Paul, the apostle, who used to be a Christian killer because he couldn't stand anything about these followers of Jesus until he met Jesus face to face and said, whoa, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. We can't really know Jesus until we have an encounter with Jesus. It's one thing, even if you, you come up learning stories or your parents tell you about Jesus, that's, that's good. But unless you have a personal encounter with Jesus yourself, personally, in a time of surrender in, in, at home in prayer, whether it happens in a church or at a crusade or in your home on your, on your kitchen floor or your bedroom, it takes a personal encounter with Jesus to change a life. Jesus said, to find your life, you have to lose it. And if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Uh, the Bible says that we gotta die in order to live. And he doesn't mean physically die, but to die to ourselves so we can live in Christ. There's this, there's this encounter with Jesus that all of us have to have at some point, And that's where life is on the other side. It's not just the historical belief that something happened. It's a surrendered life to the one who rose from the dead, and who will raise you and I from the dead. This is where the life begins. There was a great historian named Josephus, and Josephus, he documented more things in that first, second century than anybody we have in history. He wrote times, places, kings, where things were located. In fact, a lot of discovery they make today is they go to things that he wrote some 18, 1900 years ago and go, oh, he said it was here, let's go look. And they put a shovel in the ground and they find it. Uh, so this guy was an amazing historian. Uh, he wrote that Jesus was condemned to death on a cross, but on the third day rose again and appeared to others. This is what he wrote in his, in his words. For he appeared to them alive again the, th the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named for him, are not extinct at, until this day. Um, the tribe of Christians is what he was calling us. You guys feeling like a tribe? He called you a tribe. We're a tribe. We're a tribe of Christians, a family, a family of God. The Bible says that everyone born is not children of God. People use that term, well, we're all children of God. The Bible does not say we're all children of God. People made that up. We're all God's creation. The Bible says that through Jesus, those who received him, the ones who received, this is that personal encounter I'm talking about, the ones who receive them, to them, to them, he gives the right to be called children of God. It's a right. It's a God-given right, and he puts it on anyone and everyone willing to say, yep, I want in on your provision. I want to turn. I want to follow you. You're the king, and I'm not. And he's like, beautiful. I have this right. To, you can be called children of God. And when you're children of God, 
you also get in on a whole bunch of promises, a whole bunch of provisions. You get in all sorts of benefits of those who are the children of God. That's what scripture says about children. But the greatest proofs, I think, for the resurrection is the church. You see, the early church, they were told, stop talking about this Jesus. We don't want to hear it anymore. And if you keep going around telling people he's alive and you saw him, we will kill you. And people said, we can't help but what we've seen and what we've heard. We've seen it with our own eyes. We've heard it with our own ears. And if that's what you have to do to us, go ahead and do it. Some were thrown to lions. Are you sure you don't want to change your position on this? If you do, we won't throw you to the lions. But if you keep telling people that Jesus is alive, we're going to throw you to the lions. He's alive. <laughs> if you got to throw me to the lions, he's alive. It's not going to change the fact that he's alive. Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus' idea is the church. He's the one who made up the idea of the church. It's not a man-made idea. The church, the assembly, the gathering of believers is Jesus' idea. And he said, even all hell trying to come against it isn't going to stop it. Because what God begins, he's going to bring to completion. And you and I are that tribe of Christians today. We're still that tribe of Jesus. And we're still moving forward. And God's still moving in lives and, 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 and penetrating lives and changing lives all along. But the other proof of the church is, is our testimony. If we had time, and one night we need to do this, just have a worship night over here in our, in our other multipurpose room and just have testimonies and hear more and more testimonies and more and more testimonies. There's something about testimony that is explosive. When you share your God story with others, watch out. Because so many in this room have a God story where God made himself real to you and showed you something that only God can do. That Jesus is alive and he must be because he did this. Because you called on him and he did this. Jesus is so alive. And I know he's alive because I stand here as living proof. I am a testament of God's grace that he is alive. He changed me and he couldn't change me if he weren't alive. He is alive. He's alive and well. And I'm not who I'm going to be, but I'm not who I used to be. And it's because that Jesus is alive. It's because he was calling me out and I had to have that moment of that one-on-one -on -one encounter that I encouraged everyone that, that at some point there's got to be a stop, a pause, a silence, and a looking to him. And when he presents this offer, that you fully own it or you fully don't. There's no half taken, yeah, I kind of believe you're this, but I'm doing my own thing with my own life, and yeah, you're good where you are, as long as you're not against me, we're cool. Mm -mm. You're either the resurrected Jesus and the Lord, which means I follow you, and you're the king of the universe, and I'm not, and you're on the throne, I'm not, or I appreciate it, but I'm the pilot of this plane, God, and I'm flying, and I got a direction, and I got a plan, and that means he's not the Lord. So there's got to be this encounter that at some point, you go, you know what? You're God and I'm not. And I'm getting off the throne, I'm getting you on it. And that is where life begins. And so many through history saw that, me being one of them. Jesus says this about himself in Revelation 1.18. He says, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. 
Scripture says that because we're all related to Adam, we all die. But if we're all related to Christ, which is an opportunity and a privilege we all have, then we have this resurrection life. I love the way he broke it down to Martha. You know the story of Mary and Martha in the Bible, but this is so amazing. Martha comes up to him. She's worried. She's concerned. She has some, some, some you know, struggles going on. And Jesus calms her right down and says, Jesus says to her in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. There's that statement, the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus, when he asked Peter, who do you say I am? You are the Christ, you're the Son of God. Jesus said, bingo. That's a quote, that's a quotable. You're the Christ, the Messiah. Christ is Messiah, you're the Messiah, and you are God's Son, you are both. Jesus said, that is the rock that I'm building my church on. He asks Martha the same question. I'm the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, even though you die, you'll live. Do you believe this? And she says, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. That same foundational truth where everything begins, where life begins. In Luke 20, 36, this is where Jesus says that we, the believers in him, that we will never die again. In respects, we are like angels we are children of the resurrection is what we're referred to. And the last thing I want to encourage you, in fact, this would be a great note if the worship team comes up. The, the Bible is using this term for resurrection, anastasis. It's where we get our term anesthesia. Now think about anesthesia for a minute. Everyone knows about anesthesia, right? Anesthesia is they knock you out and they do a procedure and then they bring you back. And while you're out, there's no movement, you're completely out and you're, they can do what they want in their surgical process or whatever the case is, and you come back again. However, the original term was before medicine like this and it was when you were dead and gone and pulseless, lifeless. And anastasis means to rise back to life again. And this concept was debated. The two religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees believed in it and the Sanhedrin, excuse me, the uh, Sadducees did not believe in it and the two different groups of religious leaders were debating and Jesus said, no, the resurrection's real, people. We're all gonna rise to a, to a judgment. That's a reality. But the resurrection is real and this term anastasis literally means to rise to life again, to stand up again, literally a resurgence of life. And I want to say that because this resurgence of life is not just then and there. It's the same spirit. It says in Romans 8.11, and I believe we have this for up here. And this is the spiritual conclusion for today's message. I want to talk to you as children of the resurrection. This is what Jesus would say to you if you are children of the resurrection. If and if... If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. The question is if. If. He can't say this to everybody. It's not to all humanity. It's not to everyone on the planet. He's writing to the believers, the church of Rome. And he's saying, guys, if this is you, if you're in Christ, I don't mean just pay respects 
I mean, not being open to or having a sort of a, uh, an appreciation for God. No, that's not the qualifier. If you are in Christ, if he's the king of your life, if he's the Lord, if he's the savior, then his spirit is in you because that's the qualifier. When you get the son, you get everything. You guys know that? When you get the son, you get everything. And if the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he wants to give life to your mortal bodies. And it's so important that we get this because the story in scripture is that we're not just human beings having a spiritual experience down here on earth. We are in fact spiritual beings and we're having a temporary human experience down here on earth. And that is the thesis of scripture that we were made to live forever, but this is a, a season we get to live to the fullest. Now, every one of us in this room will probably someday have something written about us, either on a tombstone or an obituary. There's going to be two dates, two dates about who we are, what we did, what our contribution was to society, whatever we did or dreamed up or thought or served or did or whatever we did, whatever our contribution is, it's going to be tied to our name and two dates. Neither of those dates can we change. One was your birth date. You didn't pick it. God gave it to you. And the expiration date, we don't pick that one either. So we have no control over these two dates. However, there's something much more important than these two dates. And that's the dash. The dash. The dash that is in between the two dates. You live from here to here, but this is the dash. And it's all about the dash because you and I, we're living in the dash. Right now, today, we're living in the dash and how we leave here and what God does in our life and through us and how God loves others through us and, and the display of God's love and gifts and power that he wants to be on display through his people. It's all the dash. And at the end, the only thing that's gonna matter is the dash. We're spiritual beings having a temporary human experience down here. We can choose to exist, which isn't really living, or we can choose to fully, fully live the abundant life that Jesus promises and offers. I lived half of my life the other way, existing, and I'll tell you, this is where the life is at. It's being in Christ and waking up in the morning and saying, God, what do you have? What do you have today? What do you want to do through your people what kind of divine appointments do you have along the way? What are you going to show me today, God? What do you want to show others through me? And, and, and when you pray and have your life that way, with Jesus at the helm in that respect, he will put divine appointments in your life. He will put people and connections and opportunities in your life that will blow your mind, and it is the abundant life. That's the dash you want to be living. So I want to encourage you today. We're going to close in prayer. But... Let's all just, if we can stand to our feet for a second. I'm gonna close in prayer and I just want us to stand in the presence of God and this is a perfect time and a perfect place and a perfect day to come to terms with the reality of what Jesus did. And so with everyone's eyes closed and head bowed, let's just stand before God for a second and he knows us better than we know ourselves. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.